So Lord, we love you, and uh, we pray that prayer with a lot of confidence because you answer prayers like that, and so uh, we thank you for that. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. Well, today we are in part seven of a nine-week series uh, called Nine Things You Simply Must Do to Succeed in Life and Love, and uh, this series has been a lot of fun. It's so practical, and um, it's just having a great impact, and so we're excited about that want you to know if you're just catching up with this series, if you haven't, um, if you maybe missed a week or you're just entering in halfway through, uh, more than halfway through now, uh, know that you can, you can watch all of these messages online at brookside.net. Um, so just go online and you can watch each message there. Uh, the big idea behind this, this whole series, the, the big idea between, behind everything that we're talking about with this series is that we really believe that our good God, our loving God, when he looks at you and when God looks at me, he just doesn't say, you know what, I think that person's just going to have an average life. We know that God doesn't say that. We know that when God looks at us, it's not just an average life that he's thinking about, but it's a life that is thriving. It's a life that is thriving. He, he knows what he has for us, and it's good. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at nine different principles from this book that Dr. Henry Cloud wrote called The Nine Things You Simply Must Do. And what we're doing is we're really drilling deep into Scripture, and we're saying, okay, what's the truth behind these principles? And we're diving into that. <clears throat> the reason why I'm so excited to share with you principle number seven this morning is because it's a game changer. It's a game changer, uh, particularly in an area of your life that you would say I know as, as well as I would is, is of most importance. Uh, it's a total game changer. And so this might be your first time in church or maybe it's your first time back in church uh, in a while. Uh, regardless really though of where you're at on your journey, it's really helpful. This principle is very practical, very, very helpful. So here's how I want to set it up. All of us, to some degree or another, are connected to the real estate industry. You, maybe you own a home, or maybe you uh, rent an apartment, or you have a piece of property, or maybe even on the side, you would say you sell real estate, or maybe it's a full-time career for you. Now, if there's one thing, and I'm not an expert in real estate, but I, I know this much about it, and, and you, many of you probably do as well. If you have a property, and you uh, want it to have a lot of value, there's one thing that's critical for that to happen. There's a lot that's important in real estate, but there's one thing that's critically important. If you want to move a piece of property that you have, that you own, if you want it to sell, there's one thing that people will go back to and they'll say, this is really crucial. This is really, really key. Experts will say this in the, in the arena of real estate, it's all about, what is it? Location, 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 right? In real estate, that's what it is. But I want to ask you this morning, When you think about other areas of life, areas of life that you would say are most important, maybe you would say uh, things that rise right up to the top, maybe it's your family or your work, in the areas of life that you would say are most important, arguably, what would you say is the thing that is of most valuable in those different areas of your life? If you want to build a family, if you want to thrive at work or at school, if you want to be the kind of grandparent that you look back on and you just go, I'm proud of the way I did that. If you one day want to stand before God and give an account for your one and only life and do that with a lot of pride and joy, what's the one thing that you're going to look back on in your life and you're going to go, wow, that was, that was very important. If you were to say, I want to have an alive faith, not just an average faith, but I want my faith to be alive, what's the one thing you would say, this is of crucial importance? It all comes down to this. It comes down to this one word. Here it is, Relationships relationships in the areas of life that matter most, relationships, they trump everything else. 
Here's what's true. If you thrive in relationships, oftentimes, whether it's relationship beginning with your creator all the way down to the different relationships in your life, if you thrive in relationships, it's likely that you thrive in life. Ask any person how they're doing. And if they're thriving in the area of relationships, oftentimes they'll say, even if their circumstances are actually pretty hard, they'll say things like, you know what, I'm actually doing okay. I mean, life's kind of going crazy and this and that is happening, but we're good over here and I've got that relationship. Relationships are a bedrock. They're huge. They're incredibly important. You could be a person with great wealth. You could be a person with great, great smarts. You could be a person that has incredibly favorable circumstances. But you would say this, if the relationships in your life are out of whack, life is out of whack. They're incredibly, incredibly important. The quality of your relationships in so many ways determines the quality of your life. And so what we do is this, you and I, we want to look at relationships and we want to say, okay, God, you've put a lot of different relationships in my life. How can I be successful in them? How can I add value to the relationships in my life? Because here's what you know and here's what I know. When relationships aren't going well, you feel an extreme amount of pain. For some of you, you're here this morning and you would say, wow, you're talking about our marriage. We're in relational conflict. And the pain that you feel, it's off the charts. Maybe you have that kind of a relational conflict in a relationship at work or another relationship in your family. My prayer for you is this. My prayer for you is that you'll be able to leave here this morning and you will have something very practical from God's word that you'll be able to say, you know what, that was helpful. And now I feel like I can walk forward and I can at least take one step of victory in this area that is so crucial because of what Jesus Christ taught me this morning. Henry Cloud, when he was writing this book, um, Nine Things You Simply Must Do, he, he really, in, in this chapter seven, he wrote, a, a, I think, what is a, a very alarming question. Here it is. He said this. He said, how can you destroy all the relationships in your life? How can you destroy all the relationships in your life? And you can probably think of a lot of ways. You could uh, become a critic of someone just all the time. You criticize them. You could lie. You could cheat. You can fill in the blank of different ways that you could destroy the relationships in your life. He went on to say this. He said, here's, how, here's all you have to do to ruin every relationship in your life. Play fair. If you play fair, you will ruin all of them. Some may go pretty quickly. Others may take longer. But in the end, you will succeed. Play fair and all your relationships will be ruined. Today's principle is very, uh, very simple. Three words. Here, it are. Here they are. Don't play fair. You know what it means uh, to play fair. You know what it looks like. When you play fair, if you do good to me, I do good to you in response. If you wrong me, I wrong you. If you bless me, I bless you. If you love me, I love you back. If you cheat me in business, expect that someday it will come back to bite you. If you play fair with me, know this. If I play fair back to you, you're going to get ultimately what you deserve because that's fair. Expect to get what you deserve. You raise your voice with me in a conversation, expect that I'm going to raise my voice as well right back at you because that's what the, that's what the fair thing is to do. This is a key statement for this morning. Here it is. When I play fair in relationships, my actions depend on the actions of the other person. I'm in responsive mode. You, you, you spout off at me, I respond to you. That's fair. 
Yet when Jesus was standing before the crowds of people, and just imagine Jesus before this masses of people, Jesus said this. He said, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Meaning, Jesus said, you've heard what it's like to play fair. And then he said this, but I tell you. And then Jesus goes on and he describes, just paints this picture. What does it look like for you and for I to not play fair? We've all seen this play out in our lives in varying degrees. You might have been in a relationship and there was maybe a small conflict that began and and all of a sudden the person reacted in a certain way to you and you reacted even stronger to them and which triggered that stronger response to them from them and all of a sudden it just started to snowball. And you and as you look back, you just go, Wow, that marriage, that relationship, that all went south because it started right there. But all along the way, what was happening, people were playing fair. Good people go in opposite directions because they play fair. Relationships get shattered because people play fair. If you play fair, you can bank on it. You will have turmoil in your life in the area of relationships. You can look out for it. Turmoil will come. Because people who play fair, they don't make good spouses. And they don't make good business partners. And they don't, they don't make good friends. You can be certain of this. In every relationship in your life, you will be wronged. It's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when. And so then the root question becomes, okay, if that's really true, how will I respond when it happens? When someone wrongs me, what will I do? When someone does right to me, what will I do? We'll either play fair and we'll wrong the person back or we'll take the high road. When Christine and I, when we have conflict in our marriage, it's because we're playing fair. As we open up the scriptures this morning, we're going to see that there are no shortages, shortage of incredible insights on this whole topic. And the reason why I'm so excited about this this morning is because you're going to be able to leave here and, and you will be able to apply this this afternoon. I mean, I don't mean to bust your bubble, but you'll probably have a situation later on today where you'll have an opportunity, okay, either I'm going to play fair Conflict, conflict will come. But you can just put a smile on your face and you can say this, when it does, not if, but when, you can say, okay, I'm, I'm not going to play fair. We're going to go to a couple different passages this morning. The first one is going to be in the book of, of Romans. We're going to be in chapter 12. I want to give you just a little bit of context uh, before we dive into this, these verses, starting in verse 17. But in the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are all about how we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, how we can have a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. The depth of those chapters, it's, it's phenomenal. It's off the charts. But when the Apostle Paul gets to chapter 12, it's as though he turns a corner and he says, okay, now in light of who God is and in light of who you are in this relationship that you can have through Jesus Christ, Paul says, now I want to talk to you about how you live. Now we know who God is, but now I want to talk to you about how you should live. And so in verse 17, he makes a very summary statement. He says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not repay. Do not, do not play fair. You know what this looks like. Oftentimes, uh, I'll just give you an example. I think little kids are masters at displaying this. It's an example from our house. This is last week. Our six-year-old daughter took the toy of her four-year-old brother. Four-year-old brother, he's third born, you know, he's a survivor, you know, he can bring it. So what did he do? He began to chase her, and I saw this thing beginning to unfold, and I said, Ashlyn, give him his toy back, and she knew that he was hot on her trail, and so she just dropped the toy, smart girl, kept running. I watched him then pick up the toy, but in his mind, it still wasn't fair. 
And so he took off. He took off after her. As soon as he rounded this little island in our kitchen, bang, gave her a little jab in the leg. What did she do? What was her justification? She hit him back. What was going through her mind? Well, he hit me first. And the vicious cycle of playing fair began in our little home. Verse 17, Paul goes on. He said this. He says, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. Don't take revenge because revenge, here it is. Revenge is playing fair. You wrong me, I wrong you back. You bless me, I bless you back. Boy, you cross me, you better look out. It's going to come. But notice this. Paul says, do not take revenge. And then you can't miss his language in this chapter. My dear friends, Paul is saying this, relationships. He's saying, people that I love. He's saying, relationships are so important. He's saying, this is crucial. My dear friends, don't take revenge. And then he goes on. He says this in verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be overcome in the moment when you can fire back. Paul says, no, 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 no. He says, I want you to think about it in a different way. You've heard this statement before. The best defense is a good offense, yeah. Paul is passionately saying this, don't be overcome by evil, but I want you to be on the offensive. I want you to overcome evil with good. It's powerful. Paul knows that this won't just happen on accident. He knows that it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some work. He knows that it, it's not something that we just intuitively do. On the contrary, when you're wronged and when I'm wronged, the thing that comes naturally to us is fire back. Just this week, just on Friday, and this was after I had studied this passage all week, all that day, all day Friday. I get home, and Ashlyn says to me, just tells me a little something that happened on the playground. She said, you know, this is this boy cut in front of me in line on the monkey bars. And uh, she said, I told him, I said, you have to go to the back of the line. You know, there's a line here or whatever, and please can you do that? And, and he said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. And she said, well, you kind of have to. I mean, you know, there's a line, and it's not just you go around and around. We just all watch you. You know, you kind of got to, that's how we play the game, you know. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that. And he said, and I'll hit you. Now, at this point, I said to her, just instinctively, I said, Ashlyn, you know, that's when you make a fist and you pop that boy in the nose before he has anything else to say. I wish I was kidding. Christina's in the other room. Christina's in the other room. And she's like, no, 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 no. She's like, pastor, dad, you know. Doesn't come naturally, does it? This verse, it looks good. That looks good. Looks good on paper in the moment. How does it feel? It's hard, isn't it? Ashton, she then told me how she responded so maturely and went through it and was nice to the boy. And I just said, just listen to your mom. You know, you're, you're good. <laughs> this thing, though, this, this whole idea, it's so threaded throughout Scripture. The Apostle Paul, he's talking to a different group. He's talking to the Thessalonians, and he, he says this to them. He says, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive, meaning this, it's not going to be easy. He says, strive to do what is good for, for, uh, for each other and for everyone else. He's saying, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to come just quickly, just naturally to you. Your natural instinct will be to fire back. But will you be mature enough, will I be, to stand above it and to respond differently. Peter said this. Again, I just want to give you another example. We see this wed. Jesus said it. Paul said it. Peter said this. 
Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, Peter says, repay evil with blessing. You get mad at me, instead of me getting mad at you, instead of me firing back, I try to understand what's going on with you. Your kid just reacts in a wrong way. Instead of just disciplining quickly, maybe we say to them, hey, is, is everything okay? Like, are, are you doing okay? The root question is this, how will I respond? Because you can count on this. People in your life and people in my life, they won't always respond perfectly to us. And so the question for us is this, how will we respond when that happens? Will we take the high road? Will we get above it? Or will we play fair? You could put it like this. This is how he put it in the book. He says, give back better than you are given. Give back better than you are given. Now, this doesn't mean that you become a doormat. As a matter of fact, in many of your situations, putting in some healthy boundaries is the most loving thing that you could possibly do. But Paul is saying this, give back better. A boundary might be better. Paul's saying, don't return evil for evil. No, no, no. When you're in that situation, stand back, give better than what you've been given. He goes on, and uh, Dr. Cloud writes this. This is crucial. People who succeed in life do not go around settling scores. What a key phrase. They do not even keep score. They run up the score by doing good to others even when the others do not deserve it. And as a result, they often bring the other person up to their level instead of being brought down to the level of the other. It's the person that they exhibit a level of maturity. It's the person that instead of just getting frustrated and getting so mad right there in the moment, they step above it and they say, okay, I know what I want to do, but what is right to do. I, I want to respond in a way that's maybe I give unconditional love to this person. They don't deserve it, but I'm not going to keep score. I'm not going to do that. No strings attached. It's the person that says, I'm going to respond in a way that's disproportionate to the way that, <clears throat> that I've been responded to. It's the person that's much less concerned about being right and much more concerned about doing right. I think to embrace this, this kind of mindset, though, this word kept coming to my mind this week, and here it is. It's the word forgiveness. Forgiveness marks this mature person. And the Gospels and some of mo Jesus' most famous teachings, he addressed this whole mindset. He painted this picture. And after one time teaching on this topic, Peter, one of his disciples, approached him, and, and Peter said this to the Lord, says, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me up to seven times? And I bet you Peter at this point was thinking, that's pretty good. I mean, seven times. I mean, if my kids did that seven times, like we're just like, oh, it's okay. You know, just forgiving seven times in a row. I'd be like, great job. Notice the Lord's response. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, not seven times, but 77 times this is the bottom line that Jesus was wanting to communicate to Peter. Peter, don't keep score. Peter, the smartest thing that you could do, Peter, the reaction that would, be the, would make the most sense, the wisest, the best course of action for success in relationships and honoring me, Peter, the best thing that you could do would be to forgive. Peter, don't hold on to it. I was talking to a gal in our church this week and and she was telling me about how she went through an entire period of, of her life. And she was a, a young pregnant mom. And she said, 
for no good reason. There was no big explosion in the relationship or anything, but her mom just cut communication with her for the better part of a year. And you, pregnant moms, you, you know what that's, you know, that's a, that's a time when it's good to have some support. And so she told me about just the pain that that caused and how hard it was to not have the support of her mom or just any communication. She said it didn't make any sense. But she said, I got to the point when I realized that I needed to forgive. And she said this. She said, it wasn't so much that that my mom was receiving the benefit of my forgiveness, though she surely was. But she said, when I forgave my mom, it was as though my heart became free. Forgiveness is a huge part of this. When we keep score, we become bitter people. We become angry people. Teaching on the same topic in Luke chapter 6, Jesus concluded with a very summary statement. Jesus said this, in light of it all, and thinking about forgiveness, he said, be merciful to people, just as your father is merciful. The, the standard is your father. The greatest motivation this morning for you and I to not play fair is to realize that the one deserving our worship, the one deserving everything good from us, he didn't play fair. He didn't play fair at all. Jesus not only taught this, but Jesus was the type that lived it. Imagine what it was like when Jesus was cornered. Imagine what it was like when Jesus, he was questioned. I mean, he could have responded in any way. He could have ended things for people very, very quickly, but he didn't. He could have done anything. He could have played fair in an instance. Imagine what it was like when Jesus was seized. Imagine what it was like when he was arrested. Imagine what it was like when that man spit in his face. Imagine what it was like when he felt the punch on his ribs. He felt the whip on his back. Imagine what it was like. He could have played fair. He could have played fair, but he didn't. Instead, when those long iron nails were, spikes were driven into his flesh and he's hanging on this cross, instead of playing fair, what did Jesus cry out? He said, Father, forgive them. Not playing fair, Father, forgive them, he said, for they do not know what they are doing. Our God could have played fair, but he didn't. It's our greatest motivation Over and over, we see Jesus extended grace. Grace, if you don't know, grace is unmerited favor. Grace is, I I get what I do not deserve. He gave people a second chance. He extended grace when he could have retaliated. Jesus modeled grace over and over again. I, Jeff Dart, I was once far from God. I was an enemy of God in many ways. But what did God do? He didn't just, he he didn't condemn me in that. What did he do? He extended grace to me, extended relationship to me, extended unmerited favor to a person that did not deserve it. Our greatest motivator to not play fair is Jesus Christ himself. I love this. It says in the scriptures that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it wasn't as though Jesus said, well, when you get it all figured out, then things will be fair and and then we'll be good. No, Jesus didn't play fair at all. He extended grace when we were still in it. And then Jesus said this, though. These are powerful words to you and I. In Luke chapter 9, he said, if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, this is going to take, for you not to play fair, it's going to take some sacrifice. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. You're going to have to take up your own cross. What Jesus was saying is that, hey, this isn't going to be easy. There's going to be sacrifice involved. 
how we respond to others cannot be dictated, dictated by their response to us. Instead, we respond to others based on the mercy that God has extended to us. It's a different way of thinking. I was talking to a guy in our church this week, and he told me about what it was like for him to grow up. He's the oldest of three boys, and he said his mom got pregnant with him when, when she was in high school, and he said as he grew up with his brothers, he said, I watched day in and day out as my dad beat my mom. He said, I watched it over and over. Incredible story, this guy. He says he's a raging alcoholic. He says he's the evilest man I, I know. And he describes some of the things that his dad did that I'll, I'll spare you. He said it wasn't uncommon for us to come home and, and there'd be a prostitute in the house or one of dad's flings. And, and he said it was, just, it was just a strange childhood, exposed all the, the children to pornography at an early age. He was just an abusive guy. And he said, and when I stood up for my mom, I would get the beatings myself. And he said, people had to know. It was so evident. He said, but nobody stepped in. He said, the moment that I turned 16, I moved out of that place. And so did my brothers as soon as they could. And he said, for the next 20 years, he said, I hardly heard from my dad. When I would hear from him, it was because my dad wanted something. And then he said, I got a very strange phone call 20 years later. It was his dad on the phone, and his dad called him and said, you know, I, I don't have anyone else to call. Not a surprise, right? This guy, he said, was just a mutilator of relationships. And he said, his dad asked him a very strange question. He said, I'm dying. He said, I have lung cancer. I've chosen not to fight it. I just wanted you to know that. And then he asked this, I think, atrocious, crazy question. He said to him, he said, would you come and would you take care of me? Now think about what playing fair looks like right here. Playing fair in this case means you pick up the phone and you say, do you have any idea? I'm still picking up the pieces from the mess that you've created for my life and so many others. That was fair. Could have been fair. He said at this point, though, he said, I understood the grace of God. It was, it was new to me. I understood it, though. And he said, I realized that my job now is to extend grace to my dad and he said I th I think and he said at that time and he said I still feel that way today he was the most undeserving person of God's grace more than anyone else right he said, he's just an atrocious guy he said but God had me in a place where I didn't think I should do the fair thing I think I, I thought I should extend grace to him and so he's talking to his dad he set up some clear boundaries for him and he goes he takes care of his dad he prays with his dad. Imagine that. Imagine the awkwardness. Imagine the history. Imagine the pieces. Everything going into that. But here it was. Be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. He had everything in his mind probably saying, you know what, this is the thing. This is how you can respond. But he said, instead of responding in the way that I felt was right, he said, I asked the question, what should I do? What is the right thing to do in this situation? Not in light of how I feel, but in light of the mercy, in light of the goodness of God. 1 John chapter 3 says this. It says, how great is the love. And then I love this next word. It says that the Father has lavished on us. How great is that love that God is he's merciful. He's, he's poured out onto us. And then you look 
a little bit later and you, you get to the book of Philippians. So that's God's love. In, in light of that, the Apostle Paul writes this then to a group, uh, like a church, like believers. And, and he says this. He says, and this is my prayer. Like, this is my prayer for you. He says, my prayer, in light of the, the love that God has just lavished on us, he says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. What Paul was saying is, in light of who God is, in light of the greatness of the love of God, Paul was saying, my prayer for you, prayer for me, is that I would just think of the mercy and the grace of God, and as a result, my love, your love, would abound more and more. It would grow more and more. Let me ask you just a couple questions. What would it be like if you embraced this principle? What would it be like if you didn't play fair in that relationship at work that's driving you crazy? What would it be like with that child? What would it be like with your spouse? What would it be like in that friendship? How could it change things? What would it be like if you did not respond how someone responded to you, but what would it be like if you responded to someone else based on how God has responded to you and me? How would it change things in your family? What would it do? You know, I was thinking about different, just how do you apply this, this principle in these texts? And um, two things came to mind. The first one is this. I think, I think we have to stop. You know, whether it's we're coaching our, our six-year-old on how to deal with things on the playground or we're in the middle of our own confrontation, I think we have to stop long enough to say, okay, this is fair. Like fair would respond this way, but what does it mean to not, not play fair? Okay, this is how I feel like responding but when I'm submitted to Jesus Christ and I, I live my life in view of his mercy and his grace, what does it mean now that I respond? How do, how, do I, how do I do that? The second thing is this. I think we just really reflect on the mercy of God. I mean, it's so great. I mean, when I think about it, and I journeyed through the Gospels this week and I looked at the times when Jesus was mistreated, the times when Jesus had this option. He could have played fair, but he refrained. And then they go to the next one and he refrained. And you just keep going. And he refrained and he refrained and he refrained. Why did he do it though? He did it so that you and I could receive grace. Our greatest motivator, the, the biggest game changer for us this morning is this. It's to look at the life of Jesus Christ and to go, okay, wow, you were merciful. And so as a result of you being so merciful, that's what I'm going to be. I'm going to be merciful. Whatever you do today, and, and you'll probably face the situation later this afternoon. Whatever you do, just keep this in mind. Don't play fair. And you can just know and just put a little smile maybe inside your head and you can know as Jesus looks at you and you decide, okay, I'm not going to play fair. I'm going to take the high road. I'm not going to give back. I'm not going to go fist for fist. No, I'm not going to do that. When you decide to play fair, know this. Know that the smile of God is on you and know this. You are walking in the steps that Jesus would say, you, you walk in that direction, you're going to thrive in relationships. Don't play fair. It's a huge challenge for us, isn't it? Let's do this. Let's pray together, and let's just ask God for his help. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. And um, Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for the example that you, you modeled so well in the scriptures. God, we're, we're grateful for that. And so, Lord, we just want to pray today that you would give us the strength. You'd give us the wisdom. You'd help us to know, Lord, what does it mean to not play fair but what does it mean to respond in the way that you've responded 
to us, whether that's with a loving boundary or with that's um, in forgiveness, whatever, extending grace, whatever that looks like, God, we pray that you would give us that wisdom. And Lord, I pray for the person that's here this morning and, and maybe they would say, you know what, I've never experienced the grace of God. I've heard you talk about Jesus Christ, but I've never experienced the grace of God. I would just say to you this morning, you can have a simple conversation and you can say, I'm sorry. I've lived apart from you. I've sinned against you, but this morning, through Jesus Christ, I put my faith in Jesus Christ and I receive grace. The smartest thing you could do. So Lord, we love you and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, we... um, we've got an incredible opportunity to take communion together. And uh, this couldn't have fallen, I don't think, on a better Sunday for us. Uh, Communion is a a tradition that really Jesus started. And uh, it's a way for us to very symbolically remember the grace that he gave us when he went to the cross for us as we kind of, as we dwell on that a little bit. And so if our hosts want to go ahead and come forward and they'll pass out our elements and um, know that we have an open communion at Brookside. And so if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we would invite you to take part in communion with us. So after you receive the elements, I'll come back up and and we'll take those together. But let's just kind of dwell on just the grace of our, our Savior, Jesus Christ.